And now as we turn to the Scriptures, we're going to see the end of the story. We're going to get to see the complete fulfillment of all that God has promised to us. We get a glimpse of the glory, a vision of the promise fulfilled as God gives himself to us. So listen carefully for the covenant promise that God gave to Abraham and repeated over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And may our hearts beat more quickly as we hear God's promise from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride or adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Amen. Thus ends this reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your promise. I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see wonderful things in your promise. Help us to believe your promise and to cling to you. Transform us now by your word and give us hope, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we just have two points. The new creation and the ancient promise. We're going to look at the new creation and the ancient promise. And first, we'll look at the new creation. But let me give you a a brief uh, word about the structure of this passage. Uh, G.K. Beale points out that the words, I saw, that are in verse 1 and verse 2 repeated, they introduce the prophecy uh, of this vision. But then when he says the words, I heard, in verse 3, he's giving us an explanation of the prophecy of this vision. Uh, And it's an explanation that comes straight from the throne. So this is a promise made from the enthroned one. This is a true ex-cathedra pronouncement of what God is going to do. He is promising from his throne that he will accomplish this. So we know, since God is on the throne, as we've heard sung, he will accomplish this. This is going to happen. Now, also let me address you beach lovers for a second, uh, like me. Don't worry, uh, Revelation 4, 6 has already said that before God's throne was something like a sea as clear as crystal. Uh, And we just sang in holy, holy, holy around the glassy sea. So there's there's some kind of sea there. 
the idea that there's not going to be any sea from the first creation uh, is conveying that there's no turmoil and chaos and threat anymore. There's no disorder. There's no dark forces that could come and rise up and hurt God's people. Vern Poitras explains, we will not lose the beauty and the awe that we associate with the sea, but we lose the ancient biblical symbolic associations of the sea with evil and chaos. Water destroys the world in the time of Noah. Overwhelming waters picture the coming of death. From the water rise terrible monsters. We see that in uh, Revelation 13 as well. Uh, The removal of the sea means the absolute and permanent removal of all challenges to God's order. And therefore, we see peace and stability in the new world. John is saying, there's not going to be any rebellion ever again. There's no more danger from the sea, from the first earth, which has passed away. But the new heavens and the new earth will not be less beautiful than the first, but more beautiful as the perfect venue for the wedding of the Son of God. Beale also says this about no more sea. This makes us think about the first exodus. When God calls the sea to pass away, as Isaiah 51 says, Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to pass over? Then the prophet compares this to the end time restoration of God's people. So the ransomed of the Lord will return, Isaiah says, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So just as God removed the barrier uh, of water hindering his people's deliverance, and he gave them safe passage through the Red Sea, so he will remove all barriers to full redemption and deliverance and communion with himself. God is saying, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, right? And in the words of the best song, Jesus will catch the foxes that spoil the vineyards, right? He is going to consummate his marriage. And all things that are hurtful will be gone forever. We see that in verse 4. And Isaiah 65, which is quoted here, will come true. God said in Isaiah 65, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress." And from Isaiah 25, he says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, like the sheet that is spread over someone when they die. He will swallow up forever... He will swallow up death 
forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. What a hero! What a provider! So we got to wait for him. Just wait and see what he will do. You may feel like it's two outs in the bottom of the ninth, but wait for Yahweh your God to get up to bat and see what he does. He's not going to leave you stranded. He has a plan and he is going to relocate us. He's going to bring us around the bases to our true home. My parents had to move about 20-something times the first few years of their marriage when my dad was uh, playing minor league baseball and then when he went to seminary. But that's, that's a lot of moves. Uh, but think for a second, not about the rough and exhausting uh, things about moving, but the cool stuff, the good stuff about moving to a new place, a good place. Well, John tells us, that we believers are going to be moving not to New Mexico or New York, but to New Jerusalem. It will be the community of God that we're longing for, where God dwells with his people. Our community is begun below, but then finally perfected by God. We will be in his immediate presence together. Heaven comes down to earth, and all things are put back together in Christ. This is the party that's never going to end. One commentator uh, emphasized that John's vision includes not just the new heavens and the new earth, but a new Jerusalem as well, because it's more than just the old being rebuilt. It's the Jerusalem that is above, Galatians 4 says, uh, whose architect and builder is God. Those who remain faithful in the church in Philadelphia are inscribed with the name of the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God. The point is that Jerusalem is the place where God's presence dwells, where God is with his people. This is indescribable. But this uh, commentator goes on to explain eternal blessedness is couched in terms of negation, meaning uh, things that are not there. There's not going to be any of this. There's not going to be any of that. uh, Because this new and glorious order is more easily pictured in terms of what it replaces than by an attempt to describe what is largely inconceivable in our present state. So it's easier to picture what's not going to be there. Years ago, when uh, our six-year-old John was uh, falling down quite a lot, uh, <coughs> he, uh, he fell and hit his tooth, his front tooth, for the second time uh, on a step in our garage, and he was bleeding and he was crying, uh, and we wiped the blood from his face and straightened his tooth, <laughs> and uh, we wiped away the tears from his eyes. Um, we comforted him. Uh, And then I went and glued down padding over that concrete step so that this would never happen again. Um, But Jesus is going to do way better than that. 
He's going to make a new universe for us. Think about what you have cried about or what you need to shed some tears about. It's okay to face these things. It's okay to cry. It's okay to not be in denial and to try to just do whatever we can to not have to think about our pain. Because soon, Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He's going to heal the deep cuts in our hearts and make everything sad come untrue, as Tolkien wrote. So it's okay to hurt now. One hospital chaplain who sits with people who are hurting in their beds um, a whole lot, he wrote about Jesus, our champion sufferer. He said, uh, where we fail and hide, Jesus keeps his face toward God, even as he suffers unjustly. He fights a fight we cannot win, and he comes out on the other side alive forever. Our present joy is in waking up, opening our eyes, and seeing him who is always with us, even to the end of the world. You see what he's saying? We don't have to wait till Jesus returns to see Jesus with the eyes of our heart, to see him in his word, to see him in the sacraments, to see him loving, comforting, strengthening, saving, changing. But one day we will see him face to face. And Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he has sent his spirit to be in us and with us, but he will come back to make all things new. So get your hopes up, right? Soon we will see the face of Jesus. Before long, we will taste the wedding banquet. And we do get a taste of heaven's feast here today at his table. And this increases our longings, our appetite for Christ. Paul said, set your heart on things above where Christ is. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So we can live like the community God has created us to be. It's okay that it's messy. It's okay that we misunderstand each other, that we blow it sometimes, that we uh, don't show the love that Christ has shown us. Because we have an ever-flowing fountain of grace and forgiveness to share with each other. I'm so thankful for the community and the sharing of life that we have in this church. May it spread even wider and deeper as we drink from Christ, as we drink from the river of the water of life by God's Spirit. Well, our, our second and final point is the ancient promise fulfilled. He's brought about this new creation, and he is fulfilling his ancient promise. This really is the summary of God's covenant with his people. And it's repeated over and over again that he will be our God and that we will be his people and that he will be with us. He is the with us God. This is covenantal belonging and togetherness. We're his and he is ours. And when Christ 
makes all things new, we will experience this perfectly. You won't feel distant from God ever again. You won't feel the pain of sin or confusion or anything separating you from Him. We'll be as close as a bride and a groom. And we'll be prepared for our wedding day, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, sanctified by His Spirit, and finally glorified to be presented to Christ without a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for us who love Him. And He who started the work in us is going to carry it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Death will be no more. Our sinful nature will be eradicated, exterminated, gone forever. But the end of verse 3 is even better than the absence of all the bad, right? Okay? It's not just that there's not going to be any bad there, but look, it can be translated literally, yes, he himself will be God with them. That's his name, Emmanuel. That's what he longs for and what he will make happen perfectly. He is God with us. So we get not just the blessings, but the blesser. Not just the promises, but the promiser. This is the greatest promise and gift that God will give himself to us. And in the next chapter, uh, we see John tells us, we will see his face and night will be no more because he will be our light. One older saint when asked about what she was looking forward to about heaven, she said, well, first, I just want to see Jesus. It will be awesome mainly because we're going to be with Jesus. She wanted to see her mom too, but she said, first, I want to see Jesus. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards famously said, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or accommodations, or company, the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, God is the ocean. I love the words of uh, Samuel Rutherford's poetry. The bride eyes not her garments, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. We belong to him. So guys, you're not just some guy. Jesus says about you, you're my guy. Right? And girls, you're not just some girl. The Heavenly Father says, You are my girl. And Graham and our children here, they're not just some kid. God says, You're my kid. You're my baby. I've got you. Americans spend about 60 to 90 billion a year on weddings. Uh, I love, I love going to a wedding. Um, but do you know what God spent on redeeming us as a bride for 
His Son. An infinite price has been paid. Jesus gave His life to rescue us and to purify us so we can be His forever. He was crushed so that we would be healed and beautified and brought into His family forever. But we're not home yet. As you know, we, we have to face how bad it can be down here. But we do so with hope. Uh, it's, it's been horrifying and horrible seeing and hearing about the earthquakes affecting Turkey and Syria. Uh, it's overwhelming. Um, may the Lord help them and pour out His grace and mercy. Uh, but one MTW article described it as trauma upon trauma. Um, and we see how broken the world is. I, I read another report about a man who was waiting to see if his sister would be found alive. And he said this, he said, nobody wants to lose his hope because if you lose hope, and he stops mid-sentence, just overwhelmed. And then he said, hope is everything. They had rescue workers, miners with equipment, and they even had trained dogs uh, searching for survivors, uh, sniffing for life. It's like they were sniffing for hope. They hadn't given up hope, and they worked tirelessly. This world is so broken, but we do have a sure and certain hope that anchors us. That a new world is coming. A world without earthquakes, without sickness, without pain, without death. God is going to remove everything that can be shaken. And the crushing agony and death of our Savior is our covenant guarantee that we are forgiven, welcomed, adopted, and bound to Him forever. What more can He swear than to you He has sworn? His oath, His covenant, His blood. Support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. And as we sang... Just as I am, you will receive. You'll welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because your promise, I believe. O Lamb of God, we come. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for choosing us to be brought into your family. Thank you that Jesus is coming back to make all things new. Help us to share this comfort with those who are brokenhearted now. And may we enjoy a taste of the wedding cake now as we taste the bread and wine of our Savior's covenant. May we see the promise before our eyes as we come to the table and help us to carry your family name with honor and with compassion. Use us to help others experience a community of belonging. For we pray this in Jesus, our husband's name. Amen.